today's title, On the Fence. On the Fence. And let's start off by reading our scripture that that, uh, the Lord gave us back in November of last year that really pertains to life as we know it today. Romans 15 says this, Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until God is going to continually surround your life with superabundance until, until what? You radiate with hope. Man, that's good news. That is good news. I believe that um, in the time that we're living in that I just sense in my heart that God wants to make a distinction between people who know him and people who don't. And let me say this, though. It's not God loves everybody on the planet. For God so loved the world. He loves everybody, which means he loves people who are even atheists just as much as he loves people like you. Just want to make sure you you got Because when I grew up in church, I thought God hated you know, all kinds of people, and sometimes even me, you know, because the way that I acted. But it's not true. God loves us all. God loves us all. But I do believe that there is going to come a distinction between those who know God, believe in God, and those who do not. We're going to talk about Egypt today when the children of Israel are in Egypt. 430 years they were held in bondage there. And uh, the Lord called and raised up Moses to let his people go. And in all of that, he had ten plagues to really change the heart of Pharaoh. He was the, Egypt was the, the dominant nation on the planet at that time. And so I'm sure you watched Charlton Heston and all the ten plagues, did you not? You, you, you remember Charlton Heston? You know, he went through all of the plagues. And uh, in case you forgot him, the first one was he turned the water to blood. He had frogs invade Egypt. He had gnats or lice invade the country, flies, diseased livestock, boils, thunder and hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. Now... The children of Israel were in Egypt, but they were in a territory called Goshen, which is a small territory inside of Egypt. It's not outside of Egypt. It's inside. It's not in the middle, but it's toward, I believe, the northeast part of the country. But Goshen was a territory inside of Egypt. Now, all of these plagues, I believe, were coming against the gods that they served. The Egyptian people served uh, the sun god, and they served all of these, the agricultural god. I don't know what they called it, but they were specific gods that they served. So all of these plagues were coming against their god. So God was making a statement. I'm the true God. I'm the Lord of lords and the king of kings. I'm God. These gods that you're serving are false gods. So he had all of these plagues coming against them, but inside the land of Goshen... Those plagues did not touch them. Inside the land of Goshen, the plagues were not happening. What was God doing? He was saying, I'm protecting the people who believe in me, 
and I want you to know, it's not that he disliked them. He just wanted to make a difference that I'm the true God, and this is how it's being displayed. And so he made a distinction between the people who knew him and the people who did not. So we'll pick that up in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen, where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. God wanted them to know that, hey, I'm God and I'm here. Then verse 23, I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. So I I believe this. You know, I like real estate. And, you know, uh, the three words for real estate is location, location, location. Back in that time, the children of Israel came up with that slogan way before the real estate market. (laughs) They knew all about location, 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 man. Because if you were in Goshen, that was the place to be. So... They had these plagues coming out, but Goshen didn't have them. Exodus 9.3, it says, The hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your cattle, your sheep, and your goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of of Israel's animals will die. He dropped down to verse 25. He says, It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field. People, animals, plants alike, even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. So here they are in Israel, I mean in Goshen, and all the children of Israel were in there. And they just looked outside of Goshen, and they just saw hail all around them, but it was not fallen in Goshen. God was making the distinction. I mean, that's just miraculous. All during this time, Pharaoh was getting his heart hardened. He had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to, all right, you know what? Your God has made himself known. I believe in him. But he didn't. He hardened it. I know the King James says God hardened his heart. You know how God hardened his heart? By just keep showing him who he was and then Pharaoh denying it. I won't believe in you. That's what he kept doing. He, you know, he would say, all right, you can, you can go. And then he'd go, no, just go for a short trip. And then the next day, he, no, I changed my mind. And so he kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And uh, so God was patient, plague after plague. And then Exodus 10, 22 so Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and, for, uh, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for how many days? Three days. Total darkness for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other. Now, that's dark. You can't even see one another. That's dark. Have you ever been inside a cave? They turn the lights off. You can't see your hand in front of your face. That just gives you the ibijibis, doesn't it? I mean, you can't even see. You know what's there, but you cannot even see the outline. You squint, you can't see it. That's the way it was. It says, during all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Goshen. Sun was shining in Goshen. 
I don't know, but if I'd lived in that time and if I was an Israelite, I would just go to the border of Goshen, step out into the darkness, step back in. Is that, that happened? That's true. I mean, I could have said, Melody, now you see me. Now you don't. Can you see me? No, I can't see you. I'm here. And you step right back into the light. Is that just weird? I mean, that just makes your mind go tilt. Only God can do that. 360 degrees in Goshen, the light was shining. Either way, you stepped outside of the border of Goshen. It was total dark. Not just dark. Not just like the sunset. Total darkness. Now listen, this got people's attention. Egypt was just like, you know, a superpower back then like America is today. It has... People living here from every different nationality, all different kinds of countries are represented in our nation. And so there's a, the King James Version calls it a mixed multitude. The different, it basically saying there's all these different people from different nationalities living in Egypt. They took notice. Listen, I believe this is what God wants to do. He wants to get everybody's attention in our planet. But specifically, we're talking about America. I mean, just look what's going on. Our country's being turned upside down. We, people are, have so much fear. We don't know what tomorrow holds. People don't know, if, am I going to have a job in the fall? Is this going to happen again? Are they going to shut everything down? We can't take this anymore. That's suicide. Man, I've read a terrible, terrible statistic. The military are having more suicides. We need to pray for our military because they are having more suicides ever. 20 people a day are taking their life in the military. Every single day, 20 people take their life. That's horrible. So we need to pray for them. But I'm just saying that God wants to do something. He wants to do something, and I believe he wants to make a distinction to those who believe in him and those who do not. And not because he dislikes those who do not. It's for this purpose. So they will see what God is doing to those who do know him and want to cling to those people and say, hey, I noticed something that good things are happening to you because of your God. That's what happened here. We'll read in all the way down Exodus 12, 37. Exodus 12, 37 says this. The Israelites traveled from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men. They only counted men walking, not including women and children. Some theologians say two to four million people. Then verse 38 says, Many other people were, who were not Israelites went with them as well as a large number of sheep, goats, and cattle. So in other words, there was people from all different nationalities that when Israel left Egypt, they had thousands of people that came with them that were not Israelites, all because they knew they served the true God. I want to back up. I skipped something about the three days of total darkness. I just thought of this this week. I just put something together that I've never seen together before, and that is this. You know, for, to- for three days, he said there was total darkness. How many know that Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days? Total darkness. I believe that he took upon darkness so that you and me could be in the light. 
so we could be in the light. I just thought, man, I have never seen that before. I've never seen that before. And this is another thing about when you're in darkness. You know what the problem is with America and with the world right now? It's because of this. When you're in darkness, you don't see yourself correctly and you don't see other people correctly. You don't. You have an idea. Maybe you can see an outline, but you do not see that they are created in the image of God, that I'm created in the image of God. We don't see each other. We don't see ourselves in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 said, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. He's one. We are one with God right now. Not going to be, not when we get, you're not going to be any more with Christ in your oneness when you get to heaven than you are today right now. I know you think that makes your mind go tilt, but it's true. God has made us one. The problem is we don't see ourselves correctly. We don't see ourselves in Christ. So the good news is Jesus said, you know what? You, don't, you see yourself in darkness, but I want you to know I consume the darkness upon myself so that you can always live in the light. The thing is we have to see what's inside of us to live in that light to be manifested on the outside. Does that make sense? So anyway... Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23 says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. <clears throat> In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of the one Jew. And they will say this. Please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God is with us. God is with everybody. But the people who know God... That's where they see the manifestation that God is with us. I believe that God wants to display some awesome things to this planet. And how is he going to do that? Through you and me. Through people who know him. Through God's kids. The goodness of God. He wants to manifest that. So I believe that we're coming into a time. I don't know when. But I believe in my heart there's going to be a distinction between those who believe and those who do not. It's going to cause those who do not to look to those who do and say, I want to serve the God that you serve because I see a distinction. What a testimony. And I know that 2,000 years ago, God poured out his spirit upon this planet. He did everything 2,000 years ago. Everything that you and I need has been taken care of. Everything that we need. The Bible says if he gave us Jesus, wouldn't he surely give us everything else that we need because he gave us Jesus? Absolutely. So I believe that his presence, God is with us. You cannot get any more of God than what you have today. I know you may think, well, I just want more of God. And I hear people pray that, God, we just want more of you. And I know it's okay. I hear people say that. I don't stop the prayer meeting and go, hey, it's all the God. You ain't getting any more. You already got Jesus. Do you need more than Jesus? I'm just saying, do you need more than Jesus? Because you got Jesus. So you think you need more than him? Hello? Hello? I don't do that. I know I hear, and I have talked to the worship team, you know, I... You know, there's songs that 
we used to sing. I hear songs. You go to certain meetings, you hear, you know, come, Holy Spirit, you know, and that may be your favorite song. If it is, that's okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we ask God and we beg God to come and God, would you do this? And God, would you do that? And, and you know, my heart, it's like nails on a chalkboard, you know, you know, like God's here. He's, he's, he's not going to pour out more of his spirit. Is he going to come back again? You know, is he withhold? Or do you really believe that God is withholding? Do you think God is withholding something good from you? I do not. I don't believe he's withholding anything. He's given us all things. The Bible says this. This isn't my opinion. He has, past tense, given us all things that pertain to life and to Godliness. In other words, anything in the natural, anything is spiritual, it's all been taken care of. As long as you're on this planet, you've got it all. Now, having said that, I know there's some people that when you hear things like that, people go, hey, no, don't talk like that. Don't ask like that. Or, you know, I'm, and people get nervous because now we feel like you hear a message like this. Okay, I want to make sure I don't ask God wrongly. You know, I don't want to... You know, I want to make sure I dot every I and cross every T. You know what? God's not like that. I know because, you know, I've hung around some grace people, and then they'll, you know, correct people like they're God's Holy Ghost police. You know, you don't have to pray that way or you're praying wrong. The Lord gave me a a good illustration to help me because I, I was kind of leaning towards that a little bit when I'd hear people do that. I would lean towards that. So the Lord just gave me an illustration. My boys are 20 and 21. I've got a daughter, but she didn't say this, what I'm about to tell you. She was more educated. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But anyway, my boys, 20, <laughs> I said that to rub Joel the wrong way. When they were, they're 20, 21 now, but when they were toddlers, about three or four or five, their favorite sandwich was peanut butter and honey. Now they even make that sandwich all the time for them, both of them. And then uh, I remember one time they asked me, Daddy, I want to, this is what they would say, I want a peanut butter widget. I said, you want a what? I want a peanut butter widget. I went in the bedroom and got Melody out, and I said, the boys are telling me something. I get peanut butter, but I don't know what the last part is. She said, it's a peanut butter sandwich. I go, no, it's a peanut butter widget. She says, that's what it is. So... Mothers always know the interpretation of their children. So I made them a peanut butter widget. But this is the point. They were not saying it right. Listen to me. They were not saying it right. But Melody and I never did go, nope, not getting it. It's sandwich. Sandwich. I'm from Kentucky, and I still know it's a sandwich. All right? Say it right. I'm not giving it to No, What kind of parent does that? We don't do that. If you understand. I mean, Danielle, her kids spoke Greek or something when they were a year and a half, two years old. I mean, they, they would sing. And I look at her and she goes, this is what they say. I go, okay. And she would give it to them. She would give it to them. Melody and I, we would give it to them. This is the thing. We're good parents. And even though they're not saying it right, we still give it to them. God's not. Who's our heavenly father up in heaven going, nope. Not going to do it because you're not saying it right. You're not praying right. You're not doing it right. I'm withholding it. He's not like that. I said he's not like that at all. So don't be afraid. To, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. 
I may pray the wrong thing. I may ask for the wrong thing, you know. And people, I mean, people, listen, I, I started looking at some revivals. I won't have time to go through all of them, so I'm just going to, like skipping a rock on the water, I'm going to hit some of the, of the revivals. And when I say revival, I really don't like that term because the term revival for most people is that we are begging God to pour out his spirit and to move on our nation. Again, I think it's a more proper word would be awakenings. I think revival, it would be equal to awakening, which means you are being awoken, awakened. When I look at you, that means I need help. Awake, awaken. You're getting your eyes opened up to something. But this is the thing. You study past revivals, awakenings, and then you hear what they prayed. They were begging God left and right. Oh, God, please do this. Please do that. Please pour out your spirit. God, please, please, please. And if you go by that, you know, if you think, well, you have to say it right, or God's not going to do it. Man, God moved. God moved. And so this is the conclusion I came to. When you are just hungry for God, even though you may say it wrong, if you just start spending time with him, he's saying, God, man, I just need you. I need more of you. I mean, you know, deep in my mind, I'm going to go, honey, you, you ain't getting any more of him. Now, this is what you are getting. You're getting uh, a revelation of the God that you already have to the fullest who's already in you. But God's not going to just say, you know what? I've already given you everything, so just shut up. I'm not listening to your prayer. He's not going to be like that. People are begging God to do stuff. He doesn't go, can't hear you. No, 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 I can't hear you. No, 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 I'm not listening. He's not doing that. He's a good father. He's just thinking, peanut butter widget. I'll give it to you. But this is what I notice in all of the pre-revivals or awakenings. There was a common thread. And this was it. The church or believers became apathetic towards God. The morals of the nation or the city would decline. It lost its zeal. Christians lost their zeal. And they felt like they were ineffective. Its worship became dull and uneventful. Its membership declined. And so there needed to be an awakening or a revival. So when that happened, I mean, every time things just started going really, really bad, people would start calling out to God. If you ever read Judges, it's kind of like Judges. You know, the people, they would go uh, start being blessed, blessed, and then they forget God, live their own way, and even do horrible life and just deny God and everything. Then they get the bottom of life. They go, oh, God, help us, help us, please help us. And, and then God would raise up a judge or a deliverer and deliver them, and they'd be on top of the world. And you keep reading Judges, and it was just over and over and over. And I would thought, you know, after about three times, I would be going, <laughs> you're on your own. I mean, do you see a pattern here? You'd have to see a pattern when you read Judges. But God was just... In, his mercies are new every morning. So every time they would do that, they would do that. It's the same way with America and with our world. We go down, we go down, we go down. We don't even think about God. We don't like God. We don't even believe in God. We're atheists or whatever. And people, then you get to the bottom of the barrel and you go, oh, God, help us, help us. And he helps, you know. 
Let me just go through these real quick for lack of, for not enough time. One of the great revivals was called the Great Awakening, 1730s. Jonathan Edwards and um, also um, George Whitfield. George Whitfield, he preached a message where this is in 1742. 20 to 30,000 people gathered to hear him preach. No sound system. 20 to 30,000 people in one meeting. And afterwards, people were weeping and came forward, repenting and crying out to God. Another one was called the Great Awakening in 1800, Charles Finney. He converted over 500,000 people to Christ. Over 500,000 people to Christ. Uh, there was the Great Prayer Awakening and Business uh, Men's Revival in 1857. Uh, an estimated one million people were added to the, the American church. Uh, the Civil War. 1861 through 65, over 600,000 men died during that war. And before the war, there was an article that said it seemed like soldiers on both sides left their Christianity at home. The morals just went berserk. They had no morals on both sides. And uh, just living wicked, doing wicked things on both sides. And it says in 1862, Things turned around. An estimated 300,000 soldiers were converted and gave their life to God. Urban Revival, 1875. Dwight L. Moody. He became one of the greatest preachers in Chicago, but it spread all around the world. Revivals of 1905 and 1906 was the Welsh Revival. I'm just going to skip over these. The Azusa Street Revival, 1906. William Seymour, an African-American holiness pastor, blind in one eye, went to California to Azusa Street, and he started preaching. He preached every day for three solid years, every day, filled up the place. Thousands and thousands were filled with the Holy Ghost. It kicked off the Pentecostal movement. World War II, after World War II, there was the Latter-day Healing Revival. Signs and wonders. People were getting healed left and right. People I didn't know about. Man, healing is for today. Yeah, God still wants you healed. That started, well, it started before that, but there was a major awakening for healing, 1947, 1948. Many people got filled with the Holy Ghost. Many people were healed and set free. It kicked off the charismatic renewal in the 60s and 70s. The Jesus, Jesus Movement, and then in the 1990s, the Toronto Blessing, the Melbourne Revival, the Brownsville Revival, kicked off the Promise Keepers. I mean, awakenings emerged during these times of spiritual decline. I think most people would agree that our nation is in a spiritual decline. But this is the thing. God's not through with America. He's not through with China. He's not through with any part of this world he died for this world there was other awakenings in the 70s it was the word of faith if you want to call it a grace movement for the last 20 years all of these great things were happening people being healed people being filled people being set free people prospering in their life and in their relationships all these things have been awakened awakening to us 
The thing is, I believe they've always been here. God didn't pour out his healing power in 1947, 1948. People were just, had their eyes open to it. God didn't pour out his grace in the last 20 years. Jesus is grace. He poured out himself 2,000 years ago. We've just been awoken to that. My point is this. You look at all these revivals, how it's affected our spirit, soul, and body and relationships. All of these things. I believe, are you ready? This is the, the tip of the iceberg. I believe that the world is ready and going to see the goodness and the love of God like never before. There's going to be a distinction. I believe there's going to be a distinction that people who believe God, it's going to be like light, darkness. It's going to be like the goodness of God, the love of God is going to be manifested on people. And the people who are living in darkness are going to say, that guy, he, he just has the perfect peace of God, the goodness of God. Everything is on him. I, I just want what he has. It's Jesus. I believe he's going to cause a worldwide Revival, if you want to call it that, or awakening. And I can somewhat prove it. Hosea chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, But afterward the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants. It said afterwards. In other words, the people had fallen off. They were far, far away from God. But it says afterwards they're going to turn to God. And in the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his, what? His goodness. People are thinking, you know, God's going to pour out his judgment. He's going to judge people. He's going to judge America. Or he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I go, really? Really? You really believe that? No, I believe the Bible says he's going to pour out his goodness. Not his judgment. He's gonna, it's the goodness and the kindness of God that's going to cause people to repent or come to him. It's not like you better straighten up and live right and God's going to judge you. No, you better. if you don't straighten up and live right, you're going to see the kindness and the goodness and the love of God so poured on your life, you won't be able to stand it. You'll say, oh, I've got to serve him. I've got to believe in him. He's so good to me. They will tremble in all. Because of his goodness. So I believe we're on the verge of a a great awakening. I believe we are on the verge of a great awakening. And it's awakening of the goodness and the love of God. And people are going to be astounded. They're going to be in awe because, wow, I didn't think, I didn't know that he was that good. No, you've half of it's not been told, a tenth, a thousandth not been told. God is good. He always has been. Always will be. It's just not, we have not had our eyes opened up to it. Or there's a lot of Christians that don't even believe it. Don't even believe it. So what can we do? I'll close with this. This is what we can do. Two scriptures. You know, just like I said, I think in past revivals, people just got so hungry for God. They just spent time and prayed and screamed and cried out, God, have mercy on us. Don't let us perish as a nation there's prayers like that being prayed in churches today right now which is fine you know I want to teach you a better way to pray but at the same time these churches 
that are praying out, God, have mercy on us. We're so sinners. We're worms. We're just, we're not worthy of this. We know You're right, we're not. But Jesus has made you worthy. But you know what? I believe God hears those prayers. I believe he, he's hearing peanut butter witches. I know what you're saying, but I know what you, you want. God is not going to withhold something from people who are not praying right, doing right, living right. He's not going to withhold from them. Good place to say amen. It's too late. Anyway, Ephesians 3.18. I'm kidding. 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 This is the Passion Translation. It says this. Then you will be empowered and discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. That's just mind-boggling. The love of Christ in all of its dimensions. What does that look like? I have no idea. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love? This is the thing. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and me. Which means you can come to him and you can say peanut butter, which you can say all the wrong things. And he's just going to smile and say, you're my son, you're my daughter. You don't know how to ask right, but I still love you. And I'm still going to give it to you. I'm still going to give it to you. It says how enduring and inclusive he, it is. How enduring and inclusive. God's not leaving anybody out. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Man, that's extravagant love. And then Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the light of God, why do you need the light of God? Will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light. See, God wants you to be in the light so that you can see all that he has done for you, all that he has placed inside of you, all that he is, the fullness that's been put, put inside of you. He says you need to have light to do that. The King James, I think, says, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know. We need our eyes open. We see 2020, but spiritually, I mean, so many people are blind. He says that you be flooded to you with light until, until when? You experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. See, you need to be in the light. You need your eyes to be open so you can experience something. It's not because God is withholding it, honey. I said it's not because God is withholding it. It's just that you and I have been blind to it. And I've seen some things that I've never seen before, but I do know one thing. Man, I'm nowhere close to being 2020 when it comes to knowing what God has done and placed on the inside of me. I need some spiritual bifocals. Say, God, help me to see it. Help me to see it. It says that you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance. The wealth of his glorious inheritance that he finds where? That he finds? Everybody say it. It's not up in heaven. His glorious in heaven, his glorious inheritance is not like, God, give us your inheritance. Pour out your spirit from heaven. Give it, just give it to us. No, he says, I've got my glorious inheritance in us, his holy ones. That's where it's at. We just don't know it. We don't see it. We don't believe it. 
We still think we're worms. We think we're unworthy. We think we're this, we're thinking we're that. You know, I'm only human. No, you're more than human. Inside of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Inside of you is wall-to-wall God. You're more than just a human. You're a God human. The God of all gods lives on the inside of you. We just don't know it. We don't see it because we have poor vision. Or you're just totally in the dark. God wants you to step into Goshen. He wants you to step there. That's your place. That's your habitation. And when you're in Goshen, no harm, no evil shall befall you. No plague shall come nigh your dwelling. If you believe that, if you understand that, if you have revelation of that. And not only that, the goodness of God will so overwhelm you that the people who are in darkness will see it and say, I need to talk to you. I want to I become your friend. I need you to help me. There's something on you that I don't know or I don't have. And that's when you and I say, it's Jesus. Amen? Let's stand. God wants to make a distinction. Not because he loves one person more than another. It's because he wants there to be an awakening on this planet like never before. Like never before. And I believe we'll see it. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for opening up our eyes. Stir within the family of Rocky Mountain Family Church to get to know you in a greater way. To seek you so that we will have our eyes opened up. In Jesus' name, amen.